Amen. So Acts chapter 3, verse 1, we read, Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms uh, from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it, it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now, as a lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Well, why look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses." And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Man, isn't this just a wonderful story? I mean, I, I personally love this story. I think it's such a wonderful story that, that, you know, it is, I should say, such a wonderful story that it's taught in every Sunday school of every Bible-believing church. You know, every kid that's raised in church knows this story. They maybe, maybe don't know exactly where to find it in the Bible, uh, but they're familiar with the song which is inspired by this story. And, and you know the song, right? Uh, Peter and John went to pray. Peter and John went to pray. They met a lame man on the way. He, held, he asked for alms and held out his palms. And this is what Peter did say. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And he went walking and leaping and praising God, walking and leaping and praising God. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. Hey, um. You know what? People say they like to hear me sing tenor, 10 or 12 miles away. <laughs> but you know what? You remember singing that song as a kid? Uh, you know, maybe it was in Sunday school, maybe at VBS. You know, sometimes when we come to stories in the Bible that are familiar to us ever since childhood, sometimes, you know, we have a tendency to just skim over them. And I've read that story a thousand times. Some people might be tempted to say, you know, Gary, I've heard that uh, story taught 
many, many times. And I've heard it taught by teachers that are way better than you too. Uh, you know what? Sometimes we say, I've taught that story. I taught that story in Sunday school. or I taught that story from the pulpit. This is actually something that I personally try to be aware of, uh, even in my own devotion time. Because, you know, I want to look at each story with uh, a fresh perspective. I want to read it like it's the first time that I've ever uh, laid eyes on that story. And the reason being is because I don't want to miss what the Holy Spirit has to say to me today, you know, as I read over a, a very familiar passage. And so we take this story. In verse 1, we see now Peter and John went up together to the temple at an hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And we made mention last week that Peter and John, you know, they were just ordinary guys. You know, they were fishermen by trade. In fact, uh, you know, they were partners together in a fisherman's business. We see this in Luke chapter 5, verse 10. It says, James and John, the sons of Ze Zebedee, uh, who were partners with Simon, right? We also made mention last week how John had really stuck by Peter, you know, through all of Peter's blunders, you know, in the midst of all of his pride, through all of his failures, all the silly things that he said and did, John stood by Peter. And, and we, we shouldn't forget, you know, uh, before Jesus was crucified, these two guys were actually in competition with each other. And, and to be fair, it wasn't actually just Peter and John competing with each other. It was all the apostles. All of them were arguing who was going to be greatest in the kingdom. And the competition got to be so fierce. You might remember Matthew 20, that James and John, you know, they come to Jesus with their mom. And, uh, you know, uh, she, she comes and she asks Jesus to let each one of her boys sit on thrones next to his, one on your right and one on the other on the left in your kingdom. And to com be completely fair, you know, we don't want to be too hard on these guys. But that was before Jesus sent the Holy Spirit. And now we see Peter and John filled with the Holy Spirit. They're walking together. They're working together. They're going to the temple together. They're praying together. There's no competition. There's no more, I'm greater than you. You know, there's just this beautiful unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And in coming weeks, we're going to see these two guys, they're going to be sent out together to Samaria, Acts chapter 8, where they're going to pray for the Samaritans who received the word of God, but they're going to go and pray, lay hands on, on them so that they might also receive the Holy Spirit. You know, it's such a wonderful thing when believers are not in competition with each other. You know, uh, when we're not at odds with each other, but we're just seeking to see Jesus magnified and glorified. Psalm 133 is a song of ascent uh, penned by David, you know, and as the Jewish men were traveling up to Jerusalem while ascending to the temple, they would sing the songs of ascent. Psalm 133 says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard. The beard of Aaron running down on the edge of his garments. It's like the dew of Hermon uh, descending upon the mountains of Zion. 
For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. You know, just to be like-minded, to have the same vision, to, to have the same goal, working together to see Jesus glorified, you know, to see the gospel going out, to see lives changed in the name of Jesus Christ. You know, it's so great. And that's so beautiful, so pleasant, and it's such a blessing. You know, and it's my prayer for our little fellowship that we would be like-minded, that we would be unified with a single purpose, and that purpose being just to see Jesus uh, glorified. You know, and here we see Peter and John, they're going together uh, to the temple. They're going at the hour of prayer. It's the ninth hour, right? The ninth hour was the time of the evening sacrifice. It was 3 p.m. in the afternoon. And we want to notice that they're not going for the sacrifice because Peter and John know that the Lamb of God has already been sacrificed. They're going for the hour of prayer that follows the sacrifice. They're going to seek the Lord. They're going to commune with him in prayer. They're going to, um, you know, give him praise. They're going to hear his heart. And, 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 and there are things, these are the things that actually, when we gather together on Saturday nights to pray, to pray, these are the things that we seek to do together in our prayer meetings, right? Uh, and, and you know what? If you can't make it out on a Saturday night, you know, that's okay. Come early to church and join us for prayer. Every Sunday morning, 930, we stop what we're doing and we lift the church up in prayer. We pray for the teaching. We ask the Lord to move in our midst, to speak to every heart. And if you can't come out on a Saturday night, okay. Hey, praise the Lord. Not everybody can make it. But hey, make a point to be here early and pray with us on a Sunday morning. Well, anyway, on the way to the temple, Peter and John notice this lame man. Verse 2, it says, And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they lay daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms for those who enter the temple. In Acts 4, we're going to see that this lame man is over 40 years old. Uh, we're told here that he's been lame from birth. He's carried to the temple daily in order to beg in hopes that he might receive enough from other people just to survive. And we read they laid him daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful. So you want to remember the temp temple grounds just essentially just this very large rectangle and uh, with smaller and smaller uh, concentric walled courtyards. And at the very center of it is the temple. Uh, now, there's some debate as to where this gate that's called Beautiful is located. Some say it's on the eastern side of the temple. It's the gate between the, the court of the Gentiles and the court of the women. Some believe it's the gate on the eastern side of the temple that separates the court of the women from the court of Israel, which is where the bronze altar was. Personally, uh, I'm not exactly sure where it is on the temple grounds, but, you know, uh, it's, it's where the lame man met Jesus. And you know what? Wherever uh, a person meets Jesus, that's, that's a beautiful place. And in verse 3, it says, Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked for alms. So this lame man see Peter and John, uh, they're, they're headed towards the temple, and he asked them for some spare change. Verse 4, And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter says, 
look at us. I wonder, you know, what this whole scene must have looked like. I mean, here's this guy. He's asking people for a handout as they go by. And here comes Peter and John. And he, and he asks them for a little help, uh, you know. And Peter with John, it says, fixes his eyes upon him. You know, what does that mean? I mean, does, does Peter just begin to stare at this guy? You know, he doesn't blink. You know, it says in the King James Version that Peter fastened his eyes upon him. And the NIV says that Peter looks straight at him. The New Living Translation and others say that Peter looked uh, at him intently, whatever that means. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's not a stink eye. I know that. It's not like your mom would give you the stink eye. But other, other translations say that Peter fixed his gaze upon him. The Greek can be translated this way. Peter, having looked at him with a piercing gaze. And again, I, w I wonder how that made the lame man feel. Peter looking at him so intensely and purposefully. And it says in verse 5, so he gave him his attention, expecting to re receive something from them. The lame man, he looks back at Peter and John, and he says, you know, and it says that he's expecting to receive something from them. He didn't know what to expect, but, you know, he was just hoping. He was just waiting for them to give him something, right? In verse 6, it says, Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately he felt his feet and his ankle bones receive strength. So he leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with him, walking and leaping and praising God. You know, I, I wonder if when Peter said to him, hey, silver and gold, uh, I don't have any. <laughs> I wonder if the lame man thought to himself, great, just another one of life's disappointments. You know, however, Peter looked upon him with this piercing, penetrating gaze, and he saw the real need. This guy's real need wasn't a handout. It wasn't a coin or two. It was Jesus. Have you ever been faced with a situation or a demand uh, that, that, you know, you knew that it was just impossible for you to meet that need, meet that demand? Have you ever been in a situation involving a person, you know, um, with such a, a, a great and overwhelming need that, you know, you just didn't know what to do? Or you didn't know uh, what you could say. You knew that, you know, you had nothing of any sufficiency to, to meet the need or to, to say something that was needed. You know, that's actually the perfect time to start speaking about Jesus, right? To speak of his love, to speak of his power and his willingness to forgive, to speak of his power and his willingness to heal to speak of his ability and desire to save. I mean, that's the perfect time to speak of the cross. And a person with a desperate need needs desperately to hear about Jesus, right? Peter gives this lame man Jesus, and he receives strength and healing. You know, I love this story uh, because I think this story has our past, our present, and our future all rolled up into one story, right? We, we are, or at least were, 
the lame man. We were born unable to walk. I mean, it's a picture of sin, being born in sin, having a sin nature, unable to walk with God. That sin nature uh, impedes our walk with God, unable to walk with him in a way that's pleasing to God. As a result of Adam's fall, we became crippled in our walks with God and because we inherited this sin nature. And this man in the story, he's also poor. And because of sin, we're spiritually bankrupt before God. Right? We owe, we owed such a great debt with no possible way of ever paying it back, no possible way of ever being released from that debt. And this lame man was outside of the temple. He was completely unable to enjoy and experience the things of God. And again, as sinners, we're separated from God without any measure of hope at all. This lame man was just hoping against hope to just receive something, some small handout that would get him through to the next day. And you know, I think that that's the situation he was in when Peter saw him and looked at him with this piercing gaze. You know, and maybe you're like me. Maybe you can relate to this lame man on a deeper level. Uh, I mean, there were many times before Jesus came into my life uh, that I was doing all I could do just trying to hang on. You know, where I found myself just trying to get by. You know, just trying to survive another day, just hoping that one day things would change. But all too often, I'd, I'd look honestly at my circumstances and conclude, you know what? I mean, it's just really hopeless. It's impossible. Nothing's going to change. You know, that's, things are the way that they are. And you know what? You just better get used to it because it's not going to change. And then one day, as if someone looked deep into your heart and, and they knew that you were totally hopeless and they told you about Jesus, right? And how he loved you, how he would forgive you and accept you uh, just as you are. It wasn't what you were looking for, but it's what you needed. It's what you were really, really deep in your heart longing for. It's what you were looking for. Uh, what you hoped for, just deep down in, in your soul, God's unconditional love, God's forgiveness, God's acceptance. It was all too good to be true. You know, but that's what salvation by grace is all about. You know, <laughs> I mean, you're not actually looking for it. You're not out hunting for it. But Jesus just comes to you and he heals you makes you whole again, fills you with his love and his amazing grace. I mean, do you remember when that happened to you? Do you remember how that happened to you? Maybe it was someone taking you by the hand and praying for you. Maybe it was like the experience that I had where, you know, you're just so tired of living. When you heard about Jesus, you know, you... You needed it to be true. You wanted it to be true. And like me, you know, in an act of desperation, you just knelt down and, and asked Jesus, Lord, if, if it's true, you show me and I'll give you my life. You know? And suddenly you were washed. You were cleansed. You were born again and you received strength. You know, a certain kind of strength that allowed you to get up 
you know, to get going again. And you couldn't explain it, but you knew you were changed. Remember how it was. You knew you were changed. Joy filled your heart. And you started to thank God and you began to praise and worship the Lord. You know, you might say, well, you know, okay, uh, <laughs> that's not what happened to me, Gear. Well, okay. Maybe, you know, you didn't have an emotional experience. Not everybody, it's not about our emotions. Not everybody has emotional experience. But if Jesus is your Savior today, if you truly understand what he's saved you from, right, what he, what he has done in order to save you, if you understand the future that he has for you, the plans for your life and in eternity, then you too should be leaping and jumping and praising God. You know, if, if you're not feeling in awe of what Jesus has done for you, can I encourage you to take time to get away with him and just sit with him? You know, so many things in the world seek to rob us of our joy. Distractions like the phone, you know, the kids, maybe the grandkids, maybe it's you know, if you're like me, I'm always remembering something that needs to be done like right now, you know, before I forget to do it again. You know, Jesus would say, quiet your heart and focus on me. Get your eyes off the current situation and just come and sit with me. You know, let me speak to your heart. He would say, let me reassure you that I see what you're going through, you know. Worry is something that really is, is out to rob us of our joy. Robbing us of your joy uh, is what results um, when you're worrying about tomorrow, when you're worrying about next week, when you're worrying about next year, worrying about what you're going to do. What, what am I going to do if this happens, if that happens? It will suck all the life and strength out of us. Worrying will bitterness over past events, you know, that didn't go our way, it will cripple you. It will kill, steal, and destroy all the joy that you should be experiencing, right? And, and through it all, Jesus would lovingly say, look to me, you know, seek me. I love you. I'll see you through it all. But you know, the biggest threat to our joy by far is just plain busyness. I mean, constantly being on the move, being at critical mass. I don't know about you guys, but often I'm just at critical mass. You know, having so many things on your plate, you just can't handle one more thing. And in today's world, that just happens to be something that's very easy to do. Just being you know, overwhelmed with the sheer number of things that we need to do, especially as we enter into the holiday season. You know, Jesus would say to you and I, come away with me. You know, seek my face and I'll give you strength. We have such a great need to just keep Jesus at the center of our lives. Whatever that takes, whatever it takes to, to make that happen. You know what? He's our shepherd. He's our strength when we're weak. He's our hope when we're hopeless. He's our healer when we're broken. He's our peace 
in the midst of the storm. And he's our sufficiency, right? He wants to be your all in all. If you're not excited about your salvation, if you're so busy with other things and your relationship with Jesus is, you know, taking a back seat, you know, you need to get away with him and just ask him to restore to you the joy of his salvation. You might say, you know, well, Gare, you said the story was, uh, you know, our, our past, our present and our future rolled up all in one. You know, where's our future in this story? Well, the way I see it is if you want to be, if you have a heart to be a man or a woman that God uses, you know, we actually find the characteristics of the men and women that God uses. God reveals them to us right here in this story, right? We have them right here in front of us so that we can learn from them and then adopt them, incorporate them into our lives. There are six characteristics that Peter and John display for us here in the story. And these, I think, are the characteristics that are found in everyone that God uses mightily for his glory. And we've already mentioned, um, you know, that we've already noticed that Peter and John was an, uh, just ordinary guys. That's not one of the six characteristics, but that's an important thing. God wants to use ordinary men and women, you know, who have experienced his salvation and are filled with his Holy Spirit to do extraordinary things for him. But beyond that, the first thing we want to notice about Peter and John is what were they doing? Well, they were going up to the temple to pray. Peter and John were men of prayer and devotion. Right? They placed a priority on prayer. They placed a priority on seeking the Lord, gathering together with other believers. And as a result, God's able to use these guys. Hebrews 10, uh, 24 and 25. And I know I'm preaching to the choir now. Now I'm speaking to everybody that's watching online. But it says, And let us consider one another in order to... Stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. And lovingly, you know, I want to just say to everybody, don't miss church. You know, as a pastor, I'm often aware of things that are going on in, in different people's lives. You know, people share with me the trials that they're facing, the things that they're going through, the struggles that they're facing, you know, the obstacles that are in their path. And I, and I know that there's a lot going on in each of our lives. But, you know, I'll tell you, more often than not, when people share these things with me, more often than not, the day those people miss church, that's the day that what was being taught was an answer to what they were going through. And you know what? They missed out on it because they weren't in church. The writer to the Hebrews is basically saying in this passage, come to church. Come to church with a heart and an expectation to minister to other people. Right? Don't just come to receive, but come in order to give, to encourage a brother or sister, to stir up uh, one another in love and good works. And in doing so, you'll be encouraged. You'll be strengthened. And he says, do this, have this as a regular habit, even more so as you see the day of Christ's return uh, drawing nearer and nearer. 
you know, with nothing but love in my heart. Uh, you know, I want to encourage us as a church. You know, and I know that this is a touchy subject for some people. But, you know, I don't believe anyone can afford to miss church, right? To miss out on the fellowship of the body. Uh, to be engaged in times of corporate prayer. Especially in the days that we're living in, right? Who knows what God wants to do through you on any given day? Who knows what God wants to do for you on any given day? What he wants to say to you. Well, the first thing we notice is Peter and John were men of prayer and devotion. Secondly, they were men that were sensitive to the Holy Spirit, right? They were going to the temple and pray, and they see this man in need. And, and they weren't in such a hurry that the Holy Spirit uh, wasn't able to interrupt their plans and to, you know, uh, interrupt their itinerary, right? Peter and John were probably the leaders of this prayer meeting that they're going to because, you know what, uh, the prayer meeting of this newly birthed church was probably held at the, the temple grounds. We read in Acts 5 that the church met at the temple and in house to house. You know, they were willing, Peter and John, they were willing to see if God maybe wanted to do something amazing for this man who was asking for a handout. You know, they had no idea what God wanted to do. But they gave him an opportunity to do something if he wanted to. Now, frankly, I'm, personally, I'm in awe of how Jesus always had time for people that came to him. You know, it didn't matter if, if it was a kid. It didn't matter if it was, you know, Nicodemus, the teacher of Israel. It didn't matter if it was a leper or a woman at the well. It didn't matter if it was some blind guy crying out, annoying the rest of the crowd, crying out to him. It didn't matter. But what I'm most amazed about uh, is actually that he has time for me. You know, the Lord has time for each of us. And at the same time, as I realize that he has time for me, I'm ashamed to admit that, you know, sometimes I get so busy that I don't have time for other people. You know, at times that even includes my wife and kids. And we need to guard ourselves uh, of this. Sometimes we can get so busy, uh, busy, our schedules can get so full that Jesus can't even break in to use us for his glory, Right? Jesus was never bothered by interruptions because he never saw people as a bother, right? And it's because Peter and John had the same attitude. They were sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Because of this, God was able to use them mightily. The third thing that we see in Peter and, and John and men that God uh, uses for his glory is that they were men of boldness, Right? They looked past their inabilities, their insufficiencies, their shortcomings, and spoke of Jesus. Jesus is the answer to every need. You know, regardless of how deep-seated or impossible that need may seem, Jesus is the answer. And those people that would say to me, you know, that, that's kind of a, a really a, a naive thing to believe, Gary. You know what? I'd refer them to this lame man to ask Ask him if Jesus is the answer for the absolutely impossible. You know, go ask Lazarus. Ask 
You know, the thief on the cross asked the father whose son was demon-possessed, and Jesus freed him when the disciples were unable to. Ask the man who was born blind who Jesus gave sight to. Ask the man with a withered hand that Jesus made whole like the others. The other one. You know, Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians 2.2, saying, For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul determined this because he knew that nothing else had the power to save. Nothing else has the power to transform. Nothing else has the power to heal and to make whole. The lasting solution to every need is only found in Jesus Christ. The fourth thing, not only was, uh, were Peter and John men of boldness, but they're also men of authority. Look at verse 6. Verse 6 they say, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. They were given authority and they understood it. They understood that there's power. And like the old hymn says, I love it. Wonder working power in the name of Jesus. Honestly, you know, it's something that I think that the church has lost today. You know what? Peter and John, they and all the disciples, and the church as a whole, all of us. We've been given the authority to go into all the world. Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the, in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, right? And Peter and John understood that they had the authority to teach them to observe all things that Jesus had commanded. And they believed that with that authority came Jesus' presence, right? That he would always be with them, even to the end of the age. And they knew, well beyond a shadow of a doubt, that at the very name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he's Lord to the glory of the Father. And they knew that in the name of Jesus, they could assure those people who were willing to repent of their sins and receive Christ as the Savior, they were able to assure them that their sins were forgiven, right? Oh, how I pray that our church would understand the authority that God has given us, that we would live in that authority, that we would walk in that authority as believers in Jesus Christ. Peter and John understood that authority, so God was able to use them mightily. The fifth characteristic we want to notice uh, in those that God uses uh, is that Peter and John were men of faith. Right? They had no power in and of themselves. Right? There was nothing humanly speaking that they could offer this man. Right? Nothing of eternal value. Uh, that, and, and they knew it. Right? other than Jesus Christ. Sure, they, they might have been able to give him a coin or two, but what value is given, uh, you know, this guy a, a buck or two? You know, the very next day, he would be begging again, trying to make it through another day. So what do they do? They reach out in faith. They grab this guy by the hand and they raise him up. 
Now, I'm not suggesting that you go over to Steve-O after the study or anybody else. I didn't think we'd have two wheelchairs in church today. You know, don't go to somebody in a wheelchair, you know, grab them by the hand and in, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. You know, that's not what I'm suggesting. But what about reaching out to somebody you know that's crippled by fear this morning? You know, somebody that's hobbled by guilt. You know, how about reaching out to that person who's fallen into sin and taking them by the hand? You know, when it seems humanly impossible to help them out in any way, how about taking them by the hand and lifting, lifting them up in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth? Hebrews eleven six says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Peter and John were men of faith. And because of that, God was able to use them. The sixth thing that we see here is Peter and John were also men of humility. Look down, verse 9 says, And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now as a lame man who was uh, healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. And when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why do you intent, uh, look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we had made th uh, this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the prince of life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you, of you all. You know, we'll get more into this, uh, you know, preaching and teaching that Peter does next week, Lord willing. But what we see here is Peter and John give all the glory to Jesus. You know, I, I once heard um, Alistair Begg, you know, uh, I like listening to Alistair Begg. I like the Scottish accent, but he said one time, you know, when he was a little boy in Scotland, he was in a sweet shop, you know, he was in a candy store and a lady looked at him and, uh, you know, bent over the counter and said, you know, in that Scottish accent, aren't you a fine looking lad? And uh, another customer in the store, you know, goes up to Alistair. He's, again, he's just a little boy and said to him, flattery or praise, flattery is like perfume. It's okay to smell, but you don't want to swallow it, you know? And, 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 you know, God's glory was safe with Peter and John in this story. And it's a question that I often ask myself, is God's glory safe with me? You know, I don't want my fingerprints to be found all over God's glory. I, I don't want to be found touching what God is doing or is, uh, wants, to, wants to do as if somehow it's from me. No, I don't want that. 
And because Peter and John were men of humility, giving God all the glory, God was able to use them mightily. What was the result of Peter and John's commitment to prayer and uh, devotion, sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, willingness to be bold, understanding the authority given them in the name of Jesus, uh, expressing faith in view of what seemed humanly impossible, and their willingness to be uh, humble. You know, the result was the work of the Holy Spirit that radically changed another person's life. And verse 8 says, So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with him, walking and leaping and praising God. In verse 9, we see when all the people saw him uh, walking and praising God, verse 10, they were filled with wonder and amazement. Or, literally, the Greek says this, they were filled with amazement and were in a state of mental imbalance because of what happened. In other words, they were freaking out. They were like, no way, right? And that's when the miracle meets the message. Verses 12 through 26. Again, we'll look at this next week, Lord willing. But it's where Peter preaches the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Explaining what had happened from a biblical perspective. And then he gives an exhortation to be saved. In verse 8, we see, So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with him, walking, leaping, and praising God. Now, it's just my nature, you know, but I wonder what all of this uh, looked like. You know what I mean? Was this guy, was, was, was he waving his arms all around, you know? And, and uh, was he hooting and hollering, bouncing up and down like Tigger? You know, I mean, what, what did it look like? And again, I don't actually know. But what I do know is praise was the appropriate response. You know, it's to be our response to what Jesus has done in our lives. We should be men and women who have this understanding of what Jesus has done for us. And, it, and, and we should allow it to impact our lives in such a way that we're just consumed with praise. David, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says that God inhabits or is enthroned in our praises. Psalm 33, uh, verse 1 says, Praise from the upright is beautiful. And Psalm 147, verse 1 says, Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and praise is beautiful. One final thing that I'd like us to consider in this story. This is, this is actually the first picture of the church in the Bible, right? The tongues of fire have passed from view. You know, the uh, sound of the rushing mighty wind is no longer heard. And the excitement of this, the fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit is no longer present, at least in the way it was on the day of Pentecost. But the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit is at work in the body of Christ, in the believers, the followers of Jesus Christ. The normal of the church is to be at work in the common places, right? Among the outcasts, among the cripples, among those who 
are what we once were, right? God has given us the Holy Spirit. Whether it's visible or not, he's given us the Holy Spirit to reach out and rescue, right? To turn vision into victory, to, as we catch the vision, to go into a needy world. You know, the question that I'm repeatedly confronted with is, will we, will I, will you, will we answer that call? You know, the message is not, our message can't be that we need social reform. Our message should not be, uh, you know, our vision should not be getting a certain political party in power there in Washington, Right? Our message is Christ crucified and our vision is to see Jesus glorified to deliver the gospel to a lost and dying world, right? We can't waste time speaking about philosophies or current events. Time is short. We need to speak with urgency and deliver the words of life to those who are dying without price. Lame humanity is our opportunity Lame humanity is at the beautiful gate, but they're on the outside, right? Will we give them Jesus in order that they may experience the healing, that they may experience the leaping with joy and turn to praising our Savior, right? And, and just as an added insight, I think it's interesting and instructive at the same time to see that this event is closely linked with prayer, Right? We need to be a praying church. Right? We need to be a praying people if we want to see God do mighty things in the lives of people who need Jesus. Right? We have an adversary. The Bible very clearly says we have an adversary. And the only way that we can take what he illegitimately claims as his own is to do battle in the spiritual realm. You know, as a church, we can't be people that just meet once or twice a week, you know, sing a few songs and then expect our town, expect our neighbors, expect our friends and family to be saved. We can't stand afar off and expect people to come to Christ. We need to get into the fight and we need to utilize all weapons of the warfare that have been given to us. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And, and we need to pray. It's in conjunction with these weapons in the name of Jesus, you know, that's the only way that we're going to achieve victory in this town and the lives of our friends and family that don't know Jesus. You know, it's the only way that we can reach out to the wounded and the weary. It's the only way that we can reach out to the hurting and the hopeless and give them hope. And I believe God is looking for a church. I believe God is looking for individuals who are willing to be broken over the condition of the lame and the lost in our world so that he can do the unimaginable, the impossible. You know what? Let's be that church, right? Let's be the people who God works through to reach the world for Jesus, hastening the day of his return. And again, I think that this story sums up our past, how we were once lost and without hope. And I think it contains our future. God still wants to use us. 
use ordinary people like us to radically impact the lives of people around us, you know, um, our past is our past. Our future is, is really up to God how he wants to use us, right? But and, and we got to be clear. He does want to use us. He does want to use each and every one of us for his glory. But in regards to our present, I think that this is really up to us, right? We need to be men and women with the characteristics that he can use. We need to be men and women of prayer and devotion. We need to be men and women sensitive to the Holy Spirit. We need to be men and women determined to be bold, growing in our understanding of the authority that we've been given. We need to be men and women of faith. And remember, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So it necessitates that we be men and women of the word. And the final characteristic, we need to be men and women of humility, right? These are the traits that we can develop in our lives as we go deeper with Jesus. And as we do, let's be men and women that are rejoicing in what Jesus has done for us, right? Praising him for what he's delivered us from. Let us be men and women who rejoice in our Savior, Jesus Christ. The choice is 100% our own. It's ours to make. You know, it's God's heart for each of us and making that choice blesses him. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much. And if you want to come up, Susie, and we'll do worship, a final song. Lord, I thank you so much for, for your word. You know, I just thank you for the instructions that are found in your word. I thank you that, God, your word takes us to your heart. Lord, help us to appropriately respond in praise and a desire to be obedient to your word. And Lord, I would pray, would you use us? Would you use us mightily for your glory? Lord, I don't want to be satisfied with the way you have used me. I want to go forward and, and experience new opportunities and new victories and 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 new things that are just would blow my mind away. Lord, I don't want to be done with being used by you. Lord, we don't want to be done. Use us, Lord. We give you praise. We give you glory, Jesus, in your name. Amen.